in one age, called the Third Age by some. An age yet to come. An age long past. A wind rose on the Geek at Arms podcast. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. Welcome to Woolheads, a Wheel of Time podcast by Geek at Arms. I'm Brian, and here's a man that I think surely must be Taviran. It's James. The light loom you, Brian. And you as well, James. So as usual, if this is your first time with us, we want to warn you that we're prone to give you all the spoilers for both the books and the show. So if you've never read the novels, walk in the light, but turn back now. <laughs> Deus de Amar is the penultimate episode of this season of Wheel of Time. And as we've been predicting for a while now, six or seven episodes, we're finally gathering all of our heroes in Falm. All roads lead to Falm has been a catchphrase of mine these last couple of episodes, but boy, are they doing it in a way I absolutely did not see coming. I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to, you know what? Yeah, I have nothing written for my future casting because at this point I've nearly given up. Yeah. Uh, So do you have any thoughts on the production? A couple. Right off the bat, we get a scene of Moraine and Siun in the tower together. And I liked that scene. It was younger, Mm -hmm. carefree. And I know that the special effect of de-aging someone is becoming almost commonplace now. Uh, You see it a lot. Um, And I think that it doesn't surprise me when they do it. Now what I look for is how well they do it. And Mm -hmm. with both of these actresses, they're only on screen for a few minutes, but um, with Rosamund and Sophie, I thought they did a good job. I mean, I've never seen Sophie Okonedo in anything else, but I've seen Rosamund Pike in quite a bit. And comparing how she looked in this episode to remembering her from movies in early 2000s and even like late 90s, she was in a James Bond movie with Pierce Brosnan. Um, I thought they did a good job. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much of it was digital, how much of it was practical. I mean, they've been de-aging pretty successfully since Mr. Holland's opus, and there was no digital technology in That's that. That's a good point. So just a little bit of tugging and some hair doesn't does wonders. There was just a bunch of binder clips in her hair that was, <laughs> that right. was hidden by a wig. I can't talk very well, but I look great. <laughs> One thing, and this isn't really a production note, but I guess it is. I love that any time that you pause the episode on Amazon Prime, that they not only show you who is in the scene, the actor and actress's name and their character, but they also show you the city and the country that the scene is taking place in. Mm-hmm. I've not yet clicked on one of those to find out where it goes. Yeah, me neither. But I've been appreciating yeah. that too. It's been a while since I've read these books and I'm like, where is Toman? Oh, it's in Falm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And where is Karian? Oh, it's in Karian. Oh, <laughs> that's helpful. convenient. Not a lot else. I'm going to go ahead and call out the opening shot of Tarvalon again, because gorgeous. Yeah. And I appreciate they're not reusing these establishing shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they should if there's budget concerns, but I don't mind because it was a brand new shot and it looked great. They did do a great job of rendering the tower from page to screen. It looks really good. And I will take any and all beauty shots they give us. Uh, Not all of the effects were quite as successful. Um, 
the day for night scene with Perrin and the Aiel did <laughs> not look great. I'm not sure why they didn't just shoot that at night because they've done that pretty successfully all through the show. But no, we're just going to put a blue filter and decontrast everything. And uh, I was not impressed with that. Hey, it was good enough for the classic movie, This Island Earth. It's good enough for the Wheel of Time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there was a... I was a little confused talking about uh, production styling mm-hmm. by the throne in Kyrie. Yeah, then, I'm like, is soon is she actually sitting on the sun throne? Because I mean, no. she I mean, she is the Amerlin. I mean, no one's going to tell her not to, but <laughs> or does this just but a yeah, really floral, just, like, just a curly cute? Yeah, or maybe this is just a really really nice sitting room in House Damadred. Well, I went back to an earlier episode just to. to check my uh, intuition and not only did the Omerlin seat come to Kyrian, she brought the actual Omerlin seat with her. That was her throne that she brought all the way from Tarvalon. <laughs> to coin a modern term, that's very extra of her, <laughs> but the Omerlin kind of personifies extra. So right. yeah, that doesn't surprise me one bit. <laughs> I mean, the Shanchan are still one-upping her. Uh, hauling a pyramid. That's true. I, I can imagine some <laughs> poor Carian servant looking at one of the uh, the porters for the Amarillo's luggage, looking at that. Does that break down to piece? No, no, it doesn't. No, you're going to have to dismantle this wall here to get mm-hmm. it in. But that was built by <laughs> Ogier over 5,000 years. Yeah, we didn't stutter. Get on it. <laughs> and uh, speaking of style, we continue to have decorative window screens everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> even in the Sun Palace's dungeon. <laughs> I really want to see their budget for this because, you know, it's several (laughs) bylines somewhere on several pages. (laughs) Another thirty five hundred dollars for window screens in this scene. Interesting. (laughs) Well, what's the carpenters are having a great, great time with it, though, obviously. Either that or somewhere in wherever this was shot was a really huge pottery barn with an actual very limited selection. (laughs) Where somebody says, hey, I got this new laser cut machine. Let's use it for everything. Literally everything. (laughs) You know what, though? I do have a friend who recently bought like a near industrial size CNC machine, set it up in his garage, and is doing some pretty awesome things with it. So I don't know. When you have one, you use it. Exactly. Um. Uh, I did have one more note, and this was just a a, a fun transition. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the uh, of the throne room of the 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 Amerlin's traveling throne room, um, <laughs> we're finally getting the meeting between her and Rand. It goes about as expected. Was not expecting her to shield him. Um, yeah, but she she gave my favorite line in the whole episode. <sighs> We'd have been so much better off if you had been a girl. <laughs> and as soon yeah, and as she says it, the cut to Egwene. I'm like, well, okay, pause because that, that was nicely nice. done. Uh, one because it's it's a fun transition. It was a pithy and snarky line. Also, I think it served to portray that if he had been born a woman, it may not have been any better. Because here we have one of the top two strongest channelers of the current age. And she's enslaved. So heading into Copland talk, I have to admit, 
I got to say, this, I think, has been the weakest episode of the series so far. You know, not just season two, but the whole thing. I, I would have thought that last week's episode might have been the weakest because of how slow the pacing was and how literal, uh, how how little, like, plot-wise was done. But it was a strong, much stronger episode than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one didn't have the problem of slow pacing. No. It had a problem of every scene being too short. Yeah. Like, there were scenes that were only 30 seconds long. It's like it was an episode of Scrubs. <laughs> Walk in, deliver a line, scene over. <laughs> I, I maintain that almost any series can be made better with the insertion of Dr. Cox. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would agree with you on that. You know what? But, We're going to uh, fight about it. That's perfectly fine. I'm. This is my soapbox, <laughs> and I will stand on it, and I will fight for it. Okay. Well, I, I, will, not, uh, I will not contend with you on that one. <laughs> So I think the the editing is the worst culprit here. It just felt like they had a list of things that needed to happen in order to get to the last episode and to shile ghoul with themes and through lines, you know, we're just going to hit our checklist. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's because I'm going to blame Amazon limiting the episode count. I mean, they had too much to squash in and they spent too much time dilly dallying with that artificial land and moraine tension that's actually on my Copland talk with well then let's you know what i'm gonna let's, let's talk about what they did to the moraine land relationship mm-hmm. i was gonna say that this was purely my opinion but apparently it's a shared opinion i do not like how the show has treated their relationship in this season yeah. i think it is a disservice to both of these characters in the show and it is a disgrace to to their strength in the book mm-hmm yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. It was awkward and it required far too much time to justify yes. it. It just, everything about it just didn't ring true. And 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 the way they tried to wrap up the whole tension between them in a, in a, in a nice little bow with Lan going to talk to Loghain. What did you see when you looked at her? First off, how did you know to even go do that? Second of all, and this is something that was in my Copland talk, I want to ask you, I don't think a gentle person, specifically Loghain, would still be able to see weaves. Yeah, I don't think they can. No, because to be able to um, see them, you have, if, you know, they contradict themselves. They contradict themselves in this Yes, episode. because by the time that we find out that she has been shielded and, and it's tied off, and by the time that Loghain lays eyes on her, he's been gentle. That's done. And so he wouldn't be able to see anything because it establishes at the end of the episode for Rand to see it. He has to embrace the source. Right. So it contradicted itself even within the same. You didn't even have to go back in an episode to get the. the it literally hole. did it within like <laughs> 15 minutes. And why did land become exposition guy for the one power? <laughs> Surely there's somebody else who could have delivered this information. Yeah. That would make a lot more sense than a guy who can't channel <sighs> Yeah. Well, he's been around uh, Aya Sedai his whole life. I'm like, well, okay, you know what? I've been around my father my whole life, and he's a 40-year career electrician. I'm not going to be able to build a substation or tell you (laughs) the components of a transformer. I can't, but I've been around the man my entire life. Land's like, oh, yeah, I just happened to read all these books on stilled women while we were in the tower. I haven't been there since. I didn't know you were going to be stilled, but I just happened to do that. (laughs) Like, what? 
It was the suggested book of the day at the library. And I just really was in a rush for something to read. (laughs) Right. It would have been way better if Loghain had noticed this about Moraine and tried to use it as leverage. Yeah. That would have, that would have made a lot more sense. I mean, he tried to do that and they tried to, to kind of, but the direction of the, the strong arming was going the wrong yeah. way. It was very awkward scene. Every scene Every, was awkward. Yeah. And Swan, speaking of the relationships that don't make sense, Swan's just tossing out 20 years of planning. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can get, like I said, that, okay, the plan also didn't include her best friend and the person who she, the one person she has shared this secret with for 20 plus years had been, as far as she knew, gentled. But still... Mm-hmm. Just because she's lost her ability to channel doesn't take away her ability to reason, to think, to problem solve. This is a fallacy among Aes Sedai, even in the book, that once a person has lost their ability to channel, then they they are useless. They're muggles now, and they are no longer of any use. That's exactly what Siun does to Moraine. And she blames her for, you failed at the Eye of the World. Like, well... This was also you went along with this plan. If there was a failure, you're sharing it. I don't see why this suddenly you say, oh, well, that didn't work out. So we're just going to ignore all prophecies going forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense for her to dump all over Moraine for that is just manufacturing drama. Well, that's what this show has been all about. Manufacturing yeah. drama and something else that they have been and, and contributing to that is I'm not really fond of how much they have been bringing the forsaken to the forefront and involving them in the almost daily lives of the heroes. Now, uh, Lanfear, I could get because this was a woman who was passionately in love with Luz Theron and is now trying to recreate that with Rand, who is of course, Luz reborn. Um, I do like that line. She gave every day. You're becoming more like Luz. I think she said with happiness and also frustration because he was not the best person to be with sometimes. Speaking of extra, if a man calls himself the dragon, you know, there's a lot to unpack there anyway. Right. Lord of the morning. (laughs) I forgot about that one, but when no ego on that guy, just a bit, it wasn't him channeling the one power that graded the dragon's fame. It was his ego. <laughs> if I die here, there will be a mountain. <laughs> but by involving them so heavily with the main characters, we see Lanfear showing up. And okay, one Rand asking Lanfear to help. Okay, fine. Not because of any affection, but because he's going to use every tool in his arsenal, which he's including her in that, mm-hmm. to get them out. I don't think he would have been happy about. Oh, I've got a great plan for getting you out. Yeah. Does it involve reckless murder? <laughs> Maybe she just goes on a rampage at the foregate. Once again, it's like thousands of years, and I'm back to this. Lanfear gets some of the best lines in this yes. episode and in the entire series. Not a particular sophisticated plan. No, though. no, it's not. For someone who is so skilled and canny at using the world of dreams, she's used more of as, as a blunt object in this episode mm-hmm. than a scalpel. But we see her show up at the end to help them out and she's not helping. And I think she does this on purpose. She's damaging because now the Amerlin has seen her and she heard Rand say, if you kill her, I'm not going to help you. 
as soon as he said yeah, that, the I'm camera sure cut to Seun. Yeah, this this is setting up that now Seun is they're all going to be labeled as dark friends now, which right. already every other person is becoming a dark friend, which frankly, I'm kind of getting tired <laughs> of. But like when the nephew, when it was discovered, he was a dark friend, too. I was like, oh, well, that was directly from the book. Was it now? Marthanes was a yeah, he was never uh, Moraine's nephew. Ah, he was the he was the high ranking dark friend that they had to sneak into his estate to find the waygate. Gotcha. Okay. Another footnote I, of how I long it's been since I read this book. How the Black Aja survives if Leandrin just goes into a, a Kyrian house and gives someone dark friend orders. She has to know that there's people listening at the walls. Seriously. <laughs> Which I did like that, oh, mother's been sent away. Oh, of course she's going to go. It isn't like this is the most politically active city in the world. Of course she's listening in. Yeah. And if she wasn't, Jonas would have Exactly. I'm, I'm disappointed I didn't get the Jonas payoff. I don't think that he's actually going to, to figure into it next week. Just wait. When the horn is finally blown, we'll find that he is one of the heroes of legend. <laughs> Where's Arthur Hawkwing? He's missing. Oh, well, he was reborn as Jonas about 90 years ago. So he's got to wait. Uh, wait, wait another six months. He'll be back. <laughs> we got to wait for him to kick it. <laughs> so we were wondering how Matt gets to Falm. Yeah. Oh, first uh, off. Now we know he gets, we're going to bonk him on the head and he just wakes up there. This was no my idea. first compliment. This, Who bonked him on the table? Yeah, this was my first gripe. So much for Matt springing Rand, which mm-hmm. I know was a long shot, but... And once again, this goes back to the complaint of there only being eight episodes per season. But between the distrust that now soon is going to show all of them uh, because of literally walking away with the devil's daughter and that Matt ran thinking that Matt stood him up. It feels as if the writers are intentionally causing dissent and distrust between characters who should be as close as family. Mm-hmm. Between yes. Matt walking away from Egwene Gween when she's bawling her eyes out to to this instance today, or actually in the last episode, that I, I brought this up earlier and it still stands. These, especially these three boys, they're supposed to be brothers. And right now, yeah, it's 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 more like they're cousins who only see each other at family reunions. <laughs> and there's more than enough stuff that's going to be tearing them apart, separating them, making it hard for them to get along later on. We really need them to be tight-knit at the beginning yes. so that when the relationships start breaking down, it's more impactful. Exactly right. And so that Putting when... the drama now just... And so them. that when they get through the difficult times and they reunite... It's believable because we know and we we remember the foundation that was formed in these early seasons. Yeah. (sighs) It's just frustrating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speaking of frustrating, how frustrating must it be for those Demone to have gold pacifiers in their mouth the entire time? I know. I was was wondering where the, if they were going to stick that thing in in Egwene's mouth, I thought, well, maybe, maybe since the IDOM isn't actually the pacifier, they're going to skip that and, no, they, they went mm-hmm. ahead and stuck it on her anyway. Now, but at least it's not in scenes where she's talking. Yeah. I can, I think. Oh, I, oh, oh. <laughs> mm, uh, she just sounds like Maggie from The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> I think I have an idea of where they're going with it. This is pure speculation. But you see the Suldom telling them on many occasions, you're not 
a woman. You're not even a person. You're demane. You're mine. You're property. You take away a person's voice. It makes oh. them less of a person. Yeah, I can buy that. You only see it when they're out in public by muzzling them. Prevents them from asking for help. And it also is another indicator that this person doesn't speak. Th this thing doesn't speak. This thing has no voice. Voice is very important to the Sianshan. What is said and who is saying it. You notice that the most important people don't even speak for themselves. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's true. So by taking away these women's voice or their ability to speak, especially even the possibility of speaking to others in public, it is isolating them physically and psychologically away from everyone else and forcing them to feel like more of a thing than a person. You can't see me nodding my head thoughtfully. That being said, <laughs> I think the execution is clumsy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it looked like something that was like attached to the face instead of something they stuck in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Because it, it really does just look like a pacifier. Well, that's essentially what it is. It is a pacifier. Well, I've seen, I did a double take. <laughs> My sons have been involved in flag football. And mm. they have to have a, a mouth guard to bite down on when they play. Apparently for younger kids, they have mouth guards now that just have a giant plastic or rubber area at the front of their mouth. To, I guess to protect the lips as well. But it looks like a giant pacifier. And I see these little boys running around with what looks like Never mind. They don't ever give those things a name. It looks like a bunch of seven and eight year olds running around with binkies. Yeah. <laughs> it's just as, I don't know, awkward and clumsy to look at, which is what I feel when I look at the Demane on the screen. It just, just looks awkward. Can't be. Yeah, and the weird eye makeup isn't helping them either. No, it isn't. It just, I feel sorry for the girls too, because that must be uncomfortable. I'm, I'm hoping yeah, that they made sure. it easy to, to bite on. Well, I've got one more thing in my Copland talk. All right, hit me. And that's Guitar Amoroso. The blind prophet trope is as old as story itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tiresias, 2,500 years or more ago. We don't need blind prophets anymore. She wasn't blind in the books. She doesn't need to be blind in the show. And I know that's a complaint that probably belongs to season one because that's when Moraine first mentioned it. But that bugs me. And the whole scene itself was, it was awkward. It lacked any impact. In uh, New Spring... Uh, the Amerlin was present and was there to say, okay, Guitara just delivers her prophecy and drops dead immediately. She didn't have time to, oh, and by the way, don't tell anybody about this. And then <laughs> keep it secret. Keep it safe. Right. Imagine if Gandalf had delivered that line and then keels over. <laughs> so having, having another person there, another person with authority, the Amerlin, just to then deliver that, say, okay, you didn't hear a foretelling tell nobody about this would have made it much better. So a guitar can just, mm -hmm. you know, be killed by her vision and her delivery was just so low energy. Yeah. It's funny though, because there were actually elements of that scene I enjoyed. Um, and it was the first thing on my changes in the pattern. Now, as I mentioned, I have not read new spring yet. So I have never read the, the, the chapter or the, or the scene where the foretelling of the dragon be reborn was done. I did enjoy the flashbacks to mm -hmm. between the, 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 the sister and um, Rand's mother giving birth to him on that snow covered mountain. 
Uh, I thought it was. Yeah, I, 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 I thought, I thought the, the visual was powerful. I do agree that for someone who is literally witnessing the savior of their world reborn, her performance was very understated. Yeah. Not the savior of the world and simultaneously the most terrifying. He's going to break the world again. Yeah. You know, and she's, she's delivering lines. It's not, it didn't strike with the impact that it really needed to. Yeah. This is one thing I do remember though. Didn't she kind of scream it that the dragon is reborn? Instead of just loudly whispering it? Uh, I don't think the book said she screamed it, but she did speak it very forcefully. Gotcha. And the the lines were, were very similar. They, they left out the, he is coming, he is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the other, like the, the bit about uh, a voice like thunder, thunder and he burns like the sun. Yep. Those were directly from the book. Gotcha. Um. But and I, this is my last Copland talk. I thought I was done. But speaking also <laughs> of things that are not in the book, what the heck are they doing to Matt? Well, actually, that's one of the things that I that's kind of on the cusp of a Copland and a positive change. OK. Ishi's Tea Party. <laughs> I'm, I guess this replaces his experience in the Portal Stone. He's remember they they take the Portal Stone and they all live you know, a thousand alternate lives. I think that's what was going on. There. Okay. And so that was a Rand point of view thing that they moved on to another character again. It's like they, they did with Perrin's vision. Right. I do think that they were kind of trying too hard. It's like, we want to make this spooky and disorienting. And they just, it was a little too disorienting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about spooky. It didn't really strike me very, very much, but I can see how, it could be a little disturbing, but it's like it was too difficult to pull any, pull any information from it. Now, to me, it was so, less macabre and more kind of comical, especially when yeah. Matt's laying on the floor saying, I'm not, I'm not. And Ishi is sitting there, you know, gently caressing his head, <laughs> thinking to himself, it's all right, boy. What did I put in that tea? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that that scene from Emperor's New Groove where she has the skull label and she pushes it and it looks at the turn. A lava. Oh, he was supposed to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. So this isn't the I, tea where you're supposed to see your past lifetimes. No, this is the one where you become your mother and your father screams at you. <laughs> oh, I thought I was out of that. You have very specific teas, don't you, Ishi? You know, they're all 3,000 years old. Who knows what they're going to do? <laughs> Ishi's private blend. Do you want to become your mother? I've got that. Do you want to see your past lives? I've got that. Do you want to have a propeller grow out of your nose and fly around the equator? I've got that too. <laughs> I'm in favor of the idea, but I wasn't real sold on the execution. We'll put it that mm, way. Once again, we get the idea, but the execution falls short. Yeah. I'm hoping we'll see some flashbacks in the future to kind of get more out of it as he like processes. Yeah. I don't think that's well, probably going to happen. Well, here's the thing. If, nice. if he's supposed to see his past lives, because it's established that the wheel spits out people over and over again, um, his mother wasn't one of his past lives. Right. That's why I was thinking it was a portal stone thing. It wasn't his past lives. It was his alternate lives in the present. Well, maybe it's, it's messing up should. because if it was if a normal person taking this tea, that's what it would do. But he's Tay Varen. Oh, that could be. So who knows how it's going to act with him. So yeah, 
we'll see. What, I did like, though, when he looked in the mirror and he was seeing different versions of himself, we saw one of him hanging. Some people would think, oh, that's yeah. so dark. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> oh, we know what that's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked Ishii's uh, explanation of his motives. Mm-hmm. That he's just tired because apparently he's, I guess if he took the tea, he's experienced all of his previous lives or something. Or yeah. That wasn't real clear, but he's just tired. He wants to break the wheel so he can get some rest. I saw all my past selves, and in all of them, I was just awful. Just <laughs> just the worst. <laughs> so I, that's something that we... I don't know that we ever really got very clearly in the books what Ish, Ish, Ishmael's entire shtick was. Just that he hated Luz Theron, and he wanted to always beat him, and that doesn't really no. seem like enough. Yeah, that was what the central villain. Oh, we've gotten more exposition and more personal dialogue out of Ishi in this season than we did in all of the books kind of. <laughs> yeah, he was he was present fairly constantly through Eye of the World and we got a lot more of him once he became Moradin. Yeah. Um but yeah, this is the most we've we're definitely getting a lot more of him in the show than we did in the books. Mm-hmm. But beyond just jealousy and uh, a desire for power, we never really get any of his motivations. Right. And I like that we, it, this is a motivation that makes sense. To Agreed. Me. It's, it's alien, but it makes sense. Uh, one thing that I did enjoy, it's only for a few minutes. I'm hoping they're setting it up for more, but we're finally getting into the mentor-mentee roles between Rand and Lan. Yeah. I, I was really missing some of the details from the book, like the the cord with the, the complicated knot mm-hmm. and uh, the warder rituals that he gave, gave Rand. Oh, please, boy, uh, so be at rest. As- I'm sorry, Mother, but I cannot. The watch is not ended. Right. You've been letting Lan at him, haven't the you? The land thirsts. The what? The land thirsts. Yes. I did like all that stuff. That would have been good yeah, it, to have. It would have, at least he said, tuck in your shirt. Yeah. And gave him a nice coat. Um, and apparently off screen, Rand has been learning a few, uh, you know, mm-hmm. few uh, fencing moves or a few sword, sword forms. forms. Yeah. Um, so I hope that we get more of those too, because a lot of you? trust is built between those two and it's not father and son. Rand's got a dad. Um, and if we see more of Tam Althor in the future, I will not complain one single bit because he was one of my favorite characters in the books, mm-hmm. but I will say that he was like an uncle to Rand and uh, who gave really good advice and taught him more to survive in the wide world. Um, yeah. And, and we, we, we need to and, see that. I, I, well, we don't, I maybe not need to, but I want to. Yeah. He is going to follow him. So, mm-hmm. which that didn't happen in the books. Moraine and Lan are going to follow him, but Varen isn't. So that's a, an interesting change. I forget how Moraine caught up with him again. Some, some point between the Great Hunt and the Dragon Reborn, she was, she was with the group again. I don't remember when that happened or how. I think she took the long way. And they stayed for a while in Falm, and she showed up with some other sisters. Mm. I don't know. 
Speaking of Moraine, however, uh, we, we talked a little bit about this in the production section, but uh, I really enjoy the contrast that we got to see uh, between young Moraine's exuberance and in this almost broken that we get here. That sense of humor is like unveiled in the in the cold open. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we see it hints of it elsewhere, especially that scene I mentioned earlier uh, in a previous episode about uh, when she's talking with her family and we get to see a little bit of her sense of humor. Uh, but here it's unburdened by that mountain of duty. Yeah. This is w- w- the Moraine that we have known as a very world weary and weight of the world upon her shoulders person. And so to mm-hmm. see her younger, lighter, her path has not been set. And the most important thing in her world is uh, introducing someone incredibly important to her, to her father. And it yeah. changes in a heartbeat. So the last thing on my changes in the pattern that I wanted to discuss was we get more Aiel, which I have been incredibly mm-hmm. pleased how they have treated the Aiel and how we have been given glimpses into their personalities and cultures with very little exposition. The exposition that was given was in a believable and humorous way. And when Avienda and Perrin meet up with a couple of her sisters, um, maidens of the spear sisters, not sister sisters. uh, First (laughs) thing that I saw that, that really made me happy was, Ooh, hand talk. They did hand talk. Yeah. Um, And they didn't draw attention to it until the, until they arrived at Falm and they put subtitles in. Yeah. And when they see that they lost one of their number and Avienda goes from sad to taking a beat down willingly. And Perrin's like, what the? And I bet you most of the audience was too, but this all goes back <laughs> to Toe. And he's like, so so the reason that you let your the girls beat the snot out of you was because of Toe, like you said you owe me? It is dishonorable for you to point that out. But also, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying how they are treating the Aiel. With mm-hmm. so many little differences and mistakes that they've made to everything else, are we getting a perfect uh, representation of the Aiel from the book to the TV show? No, but I really enjoyed what they have been showing us. Yeah. Uh, they, by far, the any scene with the Aiel, especially the fighting scenes, have been my favorite. Well, we are running really late on this one, so I'm just going to close out with one last thing. I still love Maxim. <laughs> he is the worst warder, but he is the best warder. He is the worst warder in our eyes, but he is the best warder in our hearts. Yes. <laughs> like He's just lounging. He's like, that guy's not going to be able to move if somebody attacks. He's, he's way too, uh, he's completely off of his center. He's fixing his eyebrows like, in the reflection from his knife. His knife. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> and he's like, well. The last battle, uh, the Forsaken, Dark Friends. Can't we just go back to the farm? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm with you. I'm I'm sorry. Did you think we were going to be fighting kittens? <laughs> well, yes, I really wish we were. <laughs> so more Maxim. Please. More Maxim. He he reminded me in that moment a little bit of a line from from Jane from the movie Serenity. Do, we, do you think any of us are going to survive this? Well, I might. I might. <laughs> <laughs> yes, more. I, I swear, if something happens to him, 
I will riot. You and I, I think, will gather together and the fans will riot. This man must be protected. Yes. All right. Well, did we have anything for future casting? Do we even want to bother at this point? No. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to save it for the next episode. We are heading into the season finale, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of ideas and opinions about where season three is going to go. Indeed we shall. So, the light illumine you and send the winds to speed you. 